Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and today we're talking to the visionary leader, minister, and coach, Laquita Monley. Laquita is the inspiring minister, coach, and host of Create Your Future Self, and she's here today to tell us how she's overcome such hardships as teen pregnancy, living abroad as a military wife, and working on who she is and staying true to herself as an individual and not all the labels society has put on her. She's learned how to overcome depression and live her dream and her purpose. She's a mom of five and unbelievably, because she's so young, a grandmother of five. She's here to tell you how to be intentional and live your purpose as well. She's an amazing and super easy person to chat with. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Laquita Monley. Wow. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. It's great to be here. I'm I'm excited to have this opportunity to be able to share a little bit of my story and in hopes that preferably. If those that are listening hear some of my story, they'll be able to grab some nuggets and use those nuggets to create their future self, to pull them out of where they are and help propel them into the position that they want to be. Uh, That sounds perfect. First, you have to tell me if I mispronounced your name. It's Laquita. Laquita. Okay. I wasn't sure how to pronounce Laquita. Okay. You did great though. You did great. I've, I've heard some really strange pronunciation of my name, but that was almost spot on. Okay. Thank you. Currently you're a coach and a minister. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. How did you become a minister? What was your road to that? It was not on purpose. (laughs) It was not on purpose. It's, it really happened. Um, my walk with Christ started out of a place, uh, a really dark place. It was an extremely dark place. My husband and I had been married probably maybe about 10 years at the time, but we didn't like each other. Didn't really want to be together but we had all of these children. So you don't know what to do. And both of us were raised in, um, in very strict Christian homes. So, and coming from the South, from Mississippi, you hear it a lot. You know, you, you may have even heard it if you have a Christian background and people will say, well, you just go pray. And I'm thinking to myself, but why? What benefit is that? You know, or go to church and you hear these stories and church, and you, if you go, you, you can probably tell them, verbatim without having to read it. And I just couldn't figure out what the, what the stories and how this prayer was supposed to have any type of positive impact on what was happening to me at that moment. And I had all of those questions and I was angry about it. Very, very angry about it because I felt like if I've been living this life all of this time, why, why were all these bad things happening to me? And so it really started me on a journey to try to figure out who I am and what I want to be. And that's when I really realized that the way that I had been approaching uh, my Christian life was not really the way that God wanted me to approach it. So I had a fresh perspective and a renewed relationship with him. And out of that renewed relationship, he birthed the desire to help others because really that's what ministry is. That word can be broken down to one word, serve. How and- had how had you been approaching things and how did you change it up? Great question. Great question. So up until then, you know, you go to church. I didn't want to say I went to church every Sunday or Bible study every Wednesday. I didn't do that at all. But I went to church. I believed that there was a God. I believed that there was a hell and a, and a Satan. And I knew I didn't want to burn in hell. So if I go to church and I'm a good person, I read my Bible every now and then, you know, 
I prayed a prayer that I was taught to pray as a kid, then that means, especially because I'm a good person, then that means that I have a strong relationship with Christ. And that's not what it is at all. My attendance in church services did not mean that I had a relationship with Christ or the fact that I read the scriptures sometimes or um, that I would even pray the prayer that I was taught to pray, which most people um, that are Christians are taught at a young age how to pray uh, the disciples prayer. Many of us call it the Lord's prayer. That doesn't make you a Christian. I show up to church every day, every day. And that doesn't make me a Christian. And that's that was a, something that was really hard for me to grasp because it had never been presented to me that I needed to have a relationship with God like I have a relationship with my husband. And using that comparison really opened my eyes to a lot of things, uh, to what God wanted from me. He wanted to, an intimate relationship with me. He wanted to speak to me as much as I wanted to speak to him. He wanted to give me to the desires of my heart as much as I needed those desires to be met. And he didn't require anything from me but to love him. How did that get you out of a dark place? But Rick, thanks for asking that. So at that point, because nothing made sense and he, the Lord genuinely loved me for me, he, in knowing that he created me in his image and in his likeness and that the glory of the Lord dwelled within me. Wow. I am somebody. I am special. I am not just a Ben's wife. I'm not just Daryl, Devante, Denise, David, and Marquez's mom. I'm not just these things. I am an individual that was created for a specific purpose. And those other things that I've been focusing so much negative energy on were just hats that I wore. And he helped me, my faith in God helped me to know who I am and the impact that he intends for me to land in the earth. And so, that helped me to come out of a very dark place. So how did you discover who you are? That wait, So here you are. Okay, so you're no longer these labels, mom and wife. So yeah. how did you come to realize who you are and what you wanted to do? That came from spending a lot of time in prayer. And journaling has been a very important piece to my walk with Christ. So as I began to journal and ask these questions in prayer, literally asking the question, it wasn't, I'm not calling out the King James, this, thou, these, and no, it didn't happen like that. It's like, God, you know, now that I know who you are and, and I understand that my prayer is communication with you, I need you to show me who I am. I know who you are. Now tell me who I am in you. And he began to tell me who he, who I am in him because the I learned that the individual that God created me to be has always been there. Every purpose, every plan, every gift, it was always in there. I needed to be in a place of clarity to activate those gifts. And as those things begin to be activated, having a total understanding of this is what you're called to do. And so for me to motivate and to inspire people and to help people move into their destiny, comes from words of wisdom, words of affirmation. Sharing my story is a part of me ministering because there are so many people who are going through what I went through, currently in what I went through, but don't know how to get out. And he'll you continue to use me as a voice to help those who need to know, hey, there is an end to this thing. Weeping may, may endure for a night, but your joy is in the morning 
you don't have to stay right there. It's not permanent. If it already happened and you can't get over it, hey, guess what? You're greater than that situation. Well, I don't feel like I'm greater. You are because the situation is done and over, but you are still standing. So the situation didn't kill you or destroy you. You have, you are greater than that situation. Now, let me show you how to use those, the tools that you gained in that to be able to motivate and inspire you to overcome even greater things or how to use it to help others. So what would you tell somebody who is in that kind of a darkness right now? And there's people that aren't Christian who are listening. Yeah. So great question. Great question. What I would tell them is simply what really just repeat what I just say, you are greater than your situation. You, you are still here. You're standing. It didn't destroy you. Yes. The situation was harmful. You, you took some bumps, you took some bruises, but you're still standing because you had that capacity to stand. Now, let me walk with you and give you some nuggets along the way that not only, you know, maybe you're standing right now and you're bent over. We're going to help you eventually stand straight up and give you simple wisdom. And the best thing that I found that people want to know in those places is that I matter. I matter. My life matters. I am loved. I am important. I have value no matter what they've gone through, whether they are the victim or the offender, the habitual offender. They want to know that their life matters. Yes, show me my error, but show me a solution. And I like to help people find that solution. And oftentimes the solution is within them. They just need to take those blinders off so that they can see the solution. Yeah. And do you help them find the solution? Is that where your coaching comes in? That's where the coaching comes in. So yeah. how did how did you decide you wanted to be a coach? You know, that was a fight, honestly. I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to do it for a long time because as you mentioned, there's a lot of people who in your viewing audience that are not Christian. And for me, because it's such a big part of who I am, I was super concerned that that part of who I am may someone may see that and not be able to receive from me. And I didn't want to create an offense, if that makes sense. So it, it took me a long time to want to be a coach. Now, people who have seen me speak on different platforms, different, of course, Christian platforms, if they wrote to me or if they had my you know, number and they text me and call me, I have no problem because to me that was a safe space. But opening myself up to other areas where people may find offense in it, it was, it was scary for a very long time. And it is something I had to pray about. <laughs> it is something I had to pray about to say, okay, God, if I do this, I don't want to offend anyone. So how do I do this in a way that I don't offend anyone, that I'm able to help them reach the place that they need to be without offending them because of my belief system? Yeah. Cause you still have to stay true to yourself. Exactly. 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 And it was, it's a, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. And what I found is those people who would definitely, definitely be offended. They may troll my stuff and say things, you know, they may troll my social media and say things, or they simply don't reach out. And it is in, uh, I, that is something that's disclosed when people follow me on social, when they have that first discovery call. And I do let them know if it is something that I've said or done that offends you in that moment, in that, conversations address it right then 
and maybe not later. And if you, you know, if you sometimes people don't have the confidence to address it, then then just write it out or text me later or call me later when you do feel like you can say it and we can have a conversation about it. And then I can see how to make some necessary adjustments. Yeah. Now you've, I would imagine, been on the road a lot. You were a military wife. Yes. <laughs> Was that, did that start young? It did. It started at age 18. That's young. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I actually went to high school together. He, oh. I met him when I was a freshman in high school and he was a senior. And as they say, and this is the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. It, it's been an interesting journey. I think, I know for sure God designed me for military life. My, my dad, my uncle and my aunt were the only three of my grandmother's children that did not join a branch of the military on my dad's side, on my paternal side. Everyone else, all the other sons went into either the Air Force or the Army. And I remember growing up as a kid and cousins coming home to visit and they have all of these stories, especially when one uncle, their family went to Panama to live for a while. The other one, they went to Germany and Honduras. And I'm thinking, I am stuck in Mississippi. What? (laughs) So when my husband came and told me, I'm probably it was like a junior. He came and told me that he joined the army. He was nervous because he thought that meant we would break up. Nope. Like when we leaving, <laughs> when are we leaving? and where are we going? So yeah, it's been a, it's been an amazing journey. I love it. Even, even through the conflicts, you know, my husband was in, he was went in after desert storm. So we didn't, he didn't get those deployments, not for the fight itself, but he did get into Kuwait Kosovo, Bosnia. He's been to Iraq and Afghanistan. And those are never good times. But it's like anything else in life. I learned that if I focus on the negative, then my children would focus on the negative. And that was a really big benefit to me as well from my faith. It was about that time when he, uh, when I really wanted to begin to take my life in Christ seriously, was about six to eight months before he was due. My husband was with the group of uh, soldiers that went in for the initial invasion of Baghdad back in 03. So that was a scary moment, but it's that relationship with Christ. And then the relationship with my church family that helped us not to be some of the statistics that people, many people may have seen, you know, on television, because that stuff is real. It did happen. We were blessed and fortunate that it didn't happen to us. Yeah, that's great. And so far, I've heard journaling. I've heard community. <laughs> These yes. are the tools yes. that I'm hearing from you <laughs> that I'm picking out <laughs> how you get through. I mean, you're an active duty military spouse for 23 years, right? Yes, yeah, 23 that's, years. That's it's, a long time. It's, it's a long time. It was an amazing journey, but community, it definitely is important. You know, I think the young people say your tribe, your tribe is important. For me, I've learned to call it my inner circle. Oh, I like mm-hmm. that so much better. The yeah. same thing about tribe, I know. The young people yeah. do call it a tribe. They could call it a tribe. So yeah. I, I like to say it as an inner circle. And, and I use this, this, this analogy uh, a lot. When you look at a dartboard, so like in, if I was in a church setting, I would say, you know, that our relationships, how people gather in our life, we have to set it up like the tabernacle. Well, a better, and I've learned a better okay, tabernacle doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. I, so, it, nothing, yeah, I, I get nothing say, for that. Sorry. Yeah, you have to say the dartboard, right? Okay, that's so dartboard, Your dartboard, the outside, I can put as many darts in that thing as I want to, and I can still get points. But the goal is to hit that 
bullseye in the center. And you notice how that circle gets smaller and smaller as you get to the bullseye and the smaller the circle is, the more value it has. That's how our life should be set up. And not that many darts can fit inside that bullseye. That's my inner circle. So everybody can't be in my inner circle. Those people who bring the most value to my life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and yes, even financially, those are the people who should have access to me. And that's a reciprocal relationship. It's not one-sided. I have to bring value to them. They have to bring value to me. And all of us can't fit in that circle. So we have to reevaluate our life. Do we have people in our life, in our inner circle, that should be out there on the outer side of that dartboard because they're not bringing in enough value? And are the people who, give, who can bring the value because of fear or reservations or intimidation or whatever, are we keeping them on the outside when we really need to pull them on the inside? That's so good. I, I haven't heard that before. And I like that. That's way better than a tribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it came out of um, that analogy came out of a course I was in and the instructor point blank asked us and it was a leadership course. And uh, he, he point blank asked the people in the course is like, you know, the people because we tend to group up, especially if you know people and if you evaluate your life and you had a monetary issue, and let's say that monetary issue was 10,000, 15,000, 5,000, 1,000, whatever, the people who are the closest to you, who you gravitate to the most, to talk about your problems with, could they hand you that amount of money to fix your problem and it not cause a problem for them? And of course, everybody was offended immediately, immediately offended, because why are you gonna place money as a value system. And when he began to break down how we handle our money and how we handle those resources, the minute resources is a direct reflection of how we handle major things in our life. So if they can't handle something as simple as money, then how can they handle the depths of who you are? Why are they there in your close circle? It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Never thought about it like that. Never thought about it like that. Wow. And that was one of the best classes I've ever taken. It's like, wow. Yeah. It was a leadership course. It was a leadership course. Like, it made me start to look at things so much differently. Yeah, <laughs> so, I never thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I, we t look at our life and we talk about the things that we value the most. What, what makes you tick? Money generally doesn't fall in there. Is money necessary? Yes. But you're not going to put that in your value system. You're not going to, you know, you're, that's not going to make you feel good or bad about yourself. It's not going to comfort you. But if you can't, if you can mismanage something that that's minute, how will you properly manage or you're at a maturity level to properly manage my crisis? Yeah, that's good. I was like, wow, wow. Yeah. And so now I use the dartboard. <laughs> the dartboard yeah. is a much better analogy. Yeah, that one works. And you're also a real estate investor. Is that right? Yes, I am. Real estate investing is fun. It is. It's a part of the system that my husband and I have designed to help us gain and maintain wealth. It, it's, it's, if you look at the history of, I would say, for lack of a better word, the rich and famous, real estate is in there. And I didn't really begin to understand how valuable real estate was and how it's so interconnected 
to what we do when we're, especially when we're doing retirement planning and different things of that nature, even in, in your business plan, where my office is, am I going to buy it? Am I going to rent it? Is it is in a prime location? Is it not in a prime location? You know, what kind of foot traffic is coming through that? All of that pertains to real estate and a life of an entrepreneur or business owner. If I don't have one, I need to get some because <laughs> that will matter when you go to the bank. It will matter. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's great. And now you've lived all over the place in the UK, Kenya, Germany. So I lived in Germany and I lived in the UK. Kenya, up until COVID, as I visited Nairobi and a lot of the uh, districts around Nairobi for ministry. I go there frequently, about maybe three, four times a year for ministry. And what did you do? Like, what do you do when you go there for ministry? So it depends. Sometimes I go there simply to teach classes. Sometimes I go there and preach at like a traditional church service. And then during specific times of the year, I go there to volunteer my time. Uh, one of the churches there, they run two boarding schools. And that's the thing that's like, that's my favorite to go there. Uh, there's a particular tribe in Kenya uh, that still believes in uh, female circumcision. And so, and that's, it's really remote, really out in the bush. And so your regular, I'm living in the, you know, this century Kenyan, that's not what they do. So this church goes out to develop relationships with the men and the women in these tribes to try to rescue out the girls and the young boys because we got to break that generational cycle, right? We And they go out and when they do, they bring the children there. They house them, they feed them, they clothe them, they educate them. And, you know, just like any normal school, when the child is old enough, they're either going to move out into their own job, career, or they'll go to a university at the university of their choosing if they were accepted. And the ministry does this through their own resources. That was the most amazing thing to me. When the first time that I came and they showed me this, they didn't ask me for money. They asked me for prayer. And if I'd help hand out food, hand out water, hand out shoes, or if we had any that we can ship over. And that was the most amazing thing to me because most of the time when we see things associated with Africa, it's associated with, let me get in your wallet and give some money so that we can dig these wells, we can do this and do that. Not saying that's not a good thing, it's not needed, but that showed me people that were self-sustaining. That if you want to give, you can, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for prayer and a little elbow grease if you want to put in some labor that's it if you want to do that so that's the thing that i love the most yeah and if there's no and the education is just so important i i mean that's kind of everything it's everything it's everything and so the the most amazing story that i have out of that one was on my last trip there which was april of of 2019 i met a family the daughter was 18 her family had come, her and her mother had come from the South Sudan, escaping, her mother helped her, the child escape a child marriage. The father died, so the uncles did no longer wanted to take care of the young lady, so they married her off to an old guy. Mom says, and they came out of a Muslim faith, so mom says, no, I don't want to do this. We're not going to do this. My daughter's not going to be subjected to what I was subjected to. So she escaped with her life. 
and they ended up in Kenya. As things would have it, they ended up in Kenya and they met someone that's connected to the ministry that I go to, that I partnered with there. And they brought the whole family in because mom couldn't go back. She would have died. They would have killed her. So they brought mom in. They brought the daughter in, educated the daughter and helped the mom all at the same time. And so it's like, wow, beautiful things are happening all over the world. We just have to position ourselves to be there. That inspired me to like, I've got to do better. Yeah, <laughs> got to do more. Is, yeah. is there anything that we can do to help with this ministry and help the female circumcision or? The biggest thing there, honestly, they clothing, shoes, and time. Those are the things that, of course, money, they won't not take your money, but being there to be a voice for a young lady who has never been told that she matters. Yeah. She I matters know. only for birth and cooking and cleaning, but you matter for so much more. Right. So I'll, you know what, I'll, as part of your podcast, I'll do a, I'll give a link to okay. this. To, to this. The, awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll include a link to that also. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That would be great. How do you now deal and adapt to, everything going on with COVID and the pandemic, not being able to hug everyone. <laughs> to me, and I, I, I'm sure most female listeners, I mean, I miss hugging my girlfriends. Yeah. We were in that situation. Again, I was really blessed. My children were in other parts of the city. And at the time I was actually in February of 2020, I was in Kuwait visiting my husband. And so we had to hurry up and figure out how to get me home so that I could get home. When they realized the severity of everything, they left their, they left their apartments and moved in with us. So I had the benefit of having somebody to hug. The grandkids were here. So I got to give out a lot of love hugs <laughs> during that, um, doing, especially in the height of, it. and they're still here and which I'm really thankful for that. Cause I still get to give out a lot of love hugs, but you do. I was going, my favorite thing in the day is to go out for my morning coffee, morning coffee, meditation and reading, well, mostly reading at my little mom and pop spot. I think probably by May, I was done, done. Like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Then we found other outlets. I started doing a lot more lives. I wrote a book. I had a lot oh, of time. So. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank I you. Know, I didn't know that. <laughs> it, well, you know, I didn't put it in there because it's still, it's going through its final edits. And as long as me and the editor stop bumping heads, it will be ready for April. <laughs> oh yeah. What's the title of your book? Redefining Success. And it's the journey. It's the, it's really a short synopsis of my husband and I's story and how we begin to learn to redefine success through our own lenses and not through the lenses of others, not letting culture, society, or anything else determine what success meant for us, but we determined what success meant in the Mondley house. Oh, I love that. Thank you. But every, every couple should do that for themselves and not, not let anyone else define yeah, not let anyone else. And it, it took us a long time to figure that out because Honestly, I think subconsciously, we don't even realize that we're being programmed by the things that are around us and that we visualize as success. You know, for my husband's career, I mean, even though the military is pretty structured, 
it's as rough climbing rank in the military as climbing the corporate ladder. It can be really vicious. And at that time, I just was the uh, fact there's a rank tells you like, yes, <laughs> just exactly. <that> alone. <laughs> you know, if women had designed it, it would not be that way. It would not be that way. No, no. And it, and it, it is, it's so crazy. And it was, we realized like towards the end of his career that we were letting that system define what success was for us in so many different ways. And like my value is so much greater than his military rank or my government service rank. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I will not allow a system to define my worth. And that was the beginning of, uh, for lack of a better word, that was the beginning of enlightenment and how we begin to shift some things and do some things. And it's, it's been a blessing. It's really been a blessing. It's been freedom. <laughs> and that also started my entrepreneurial journey. It, it's been a freedom to not have to do that and know that I don't have to do that. Oh, that's so great. I think when, when I'm meditating all the time and that mm-hmm. inner light shines and I know that I'm okay with everything going on around me, yeah. that's the attraction. Yeah. That's, that's it. It you is. You don't have to look perfect. I don't have to act because I know I'm okay. Exactly. That's exactly. when people say, why do you meditate? I can, I can tell them that. Yeah, absolutely. Meditation is so powerful. Yeah. It, it, it is so powerful. One man that I follow and, and he's, he's passed on now and he gave an analogy of the power of meditation. And it was like, well, okay, yeah, let me do that. Wait, what was his analogy? He had an apple seed and he said, okay, what do you see when you see the seed? Some people will see the seed. Some people will see the fruit, one apple. But what we should see through the power of meditation from the seed to the tree, to the apples, to the orchard, my, the power of my meditation and what I open myself up and allow myself to see and realize in my mind, I can then produce it in my real life. But if I can't visualize it, it's not going to happen. The, the, the depth of my vision is that's just a seed. Is it just an apple with a few seeds in it? Is it one tree or is it an entire orchard from that one seed? So I was like, whoa, okay. Let me get better at this meditation thing. (laughs) And how about, do your kids follow you with your ministry work or your coaching? Or do you just figure, okay, I'm an example and they're young. uh, Hopefully they'll follow eventually. (laughs) When they were younger, yes, they followed me and their dad. They really didn't have much of a choice. You know, they were home living with us. And so now we're in that, we've, we've under, we're, we are better, let me say it like this, we are better understanding how to parent adult children. You can't parent them. You can influence them. You can seek to influence them, but you can't parent them. So they're better now at saying, yeah, you know what, mom and dad, we heard you. We see you. This makes sense. You know, in the beginning, they were like, nope, we're done. I'm gone. I'm going to college. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not listening to you. You know, they, they did that thing that most kids do. And now, especially my oldest son. My oldest son is very much open. He, he'll come and knock on the door for coffee every morning and say, mom, what do you think about this? I saw this and you were doing that. Or my daughter will be more willing to travel with me when I have engagements, you know, our schedules connect and she'll come and travel with me. So when you learn to switch that role from parent to influencer, it makes a difference. 
Oh, that's so great. And when you start to spin these days, how do you ground yourself? What do you do? So it goes back to my tribe. Well, not my tribe, my inner circle. It goes back to my inner circle. Have you, I know if this, any of the ladies, are, and even if any men are listening, those people who are in your inner circle, it's like that energy, you share that energy and they can tell when you're off. Even if you don't tell, you, even if you yourself had not yet admitted, I am kind of spinning to the left. They can tell and my circle helps to bring me in whether it's through their text messages, their phone calls, their affirmations, or just listening. We'll call up and say, Laquita, how you doing? What's going on? How, you know, giving me that opportunity to vent. And then for me going back to a place of prayer, when I know, like, now I can't hide it anymore. I know I'm spinning out of control. Center myself, go back to a place of prayer and journal. What do you think, what are you most proud of overcoming and how did you do it? Wow. Let's see. The thing that I'm most proud of overcoming is depression. I realized probably it was like about 2002. It was about 2002. And I had to verbally admit that I was depressed. In the, in the Black community, we don't, we don't talk about that, especially not in the Black church community. You don't say you're depressed. You pray and let the Lord get rid of that spirit for you. Well, it's not really how it works. So I had to deal with that for a long time. Like I'm black, I'm a woman. We're expected to do all of these things. And I go to church. I can't say that I'm depressed. That's not how it works. Got enough strength to admit that. Went to a therapist. Still wasn't at the place where I wanted to take medication. I was not willing to take medication. Probably should have been, but I didn't. So she saw me twice twice a week because she really thought I should have been on medication. And that ended up allowing me to shed some layers from some traumatic experiences from childhood that when I put those defense systems up, it caused problems in my marriage because I'd seen a lot of women not being valued in my childhood. Though my husband had never done those things to me, I would not allow him into that space where he needed to be because those defense systems were up. So you, I'm going to do this to you before you do it to me because you're a man and that's what you do. And that's not how life works. That's not how life works. And that by far is one of my biggest accomplishments and the thing that I am most proud of because going through that and peeling those layers back and learning how to recognize when, the, when I'm moving in that area, you know, going back in that direction and what I need to do to not do that has not only saved my marriage, it also helped to create a better version of me for my daughter. I only have one daughter, five kids, and I have one daughter. And even and even who I am, as most of the time being the homemaker, that was a direct impact on my sons. So that needed a healthy mom in the house. And that, by far, is, is my greatest accomplishment. Um, and being a granny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be right there. And being a granny. Yeah. And... I think it's really important that you can verbalize all of that for other black women who don't want to say, Hey, I suffer from depression too. And there's no stigma. It's just like all these people are finally saying, Oh, I had a miscarriage or I'm having fertility. We all, I mean, Oh my God, it's the most common thing in the world. Nobody ever talked about something. that. Yeah. It's like, I mean, are you kidding? It's just now being talked about. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, 
it, there are so many stigmas in so many cultures. And because we are looking through these lenses that I feel, this is just me, that I feel media has presented to us that when someone from that same culture or another culture says, well, I had problems with this. Well, I do too. Well, you know what? Because you're human. That's why you have those problems. It happens. Let's talk about it. And, you know, it's one of the biggest aspects of my ministry. It's like, I, I don't focus on just getting on big stages and just preaching Jesus. My really thing that I'm most passionate about is helping women. Where, where are we at right now? Right? So Jesus loves you. Yes, he does. Jesus gave us all beautiful gifts. And if this person has been given the gift to help you mentally overcome challenges, please let them, you know, if this medical doctor has been given a gift that can help you overcome infertility, please let them help you because it's the blessing you've been praying for is right there and you won't use it. So I love to sit across the table in small groups with women and talk about marriage issues, parenting issues. One of the things I found that's most prevalent in women, especially women who are married to powerful men, and your, your husband has a significant position in whatever it is he does, they don't feel valued. You know, they don't feel valued and they don't feel significant. And the society, because how society defines success has caused them to not value what we would now call a gender role. Well, whether we want to say it is or isn't, but if you understand that my value as a woman has caused me to receive a seed that gives life and helps to cultivate that life into whatever greatness that life is going to be. And oh yeah, by the way, I'm a kick-ass attorney. I'm a kick-ass publicist. I can do this. I can do that. I am wonderful. I have some amazing value. My husband can't give life. I can't. So we're wonderful. God said we're wonderful. You need to know your wonderful sis. And that's the thing that I love to do. Like my husband, for a lot of that, that was one of the sources of my depression. Wherever I went, right. they only wanted to know, well, what is your sponsor's last four digits of his social security number? Well, hi, my name is Laquita. How are you? You know, yeah. I'm only, no- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, you have children, you go to the school. Oh, there's Darielle's mom or you're David's mom or you, you know, what's my name? My name is Laquita. Please say Laquita. You know, you feel value. And that's, that's a, that's a part of, of what I do that I find most rewarding to helping women overcome that, remove that, that those scales, if you were remove that negative thinking, embrace your power, embrace your power, embrace the authority that you have and go rock at whatever it is you want to do, go and rock. (laughs) Definitely. And everyone has a story. Yeah. Like, and it's seeing, and it's seeing that person instead of just their outsides is to know their story. Story. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. So true. Your story. Oh, I so en- yeah, I so enjoyed talking to you today and meeting oh. you and getting to know you. It thank you. Really, I had yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was, it's my pleasure. It's been great. You know, I really love what you're doing here, 52 Weeks of Hope, because we need it every moment of every day. We need it. Definitely. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Laquita's messages of breaking free of stereotype, self-reflection, and risk. I was thinking we should all challenge ourselves to do three things this week that break out of the box. Three things we wouldn't normally do. They can be little things like just divulge something to a friend or tell your kids something that you wouldn't normally tell them or your spouse or actually that, that wouldn't apply. I tell Scott everything, but or put your biggest dream out there and tell somebody so that it breaks free into the universe. Don't keep something in or post something that you were gonna go to the grave with and didn't want anyone to know or something like that. I I found all the stuff that I thought, oh my God, I would die if people knew. Nobody cares. (laughs) People just, oh, okay. And then they go on with their life. Nobody ever cares. And that's the stuff that eats us up and and gets us sick and everything else. So yeah, breaking free of stereotypes when Laquita talks about that black women, and I've interviewed somebody else for the podcast that evidently black women don't talk about depression and and people don't talk about fertility problems and and all of this stuff it's just ridiculous so yeah breaking free of stereotypes self-reflection and risk so let's challenge ourselves to do three things this week hit me up over on the website 52weeksofhope.com let me know what your challenge was and if you did it or if you wanted to but you didn't or you know or do one just one thing to break out of the box and let me know how it went for you. We also have a Facebook page and I'll start a Facebook group over there. We can start doing challenges every week. Or if you're on Clubhouse, I do have the Hope Club. I'm gonna start daily rooms over there. We're doing them once a day now, but they'll be consistent starting at eight o'clock every morning daily, starting on the 26th. So thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for a special episode and remember to share the love, tell two of your friends and please follow the podcast as well as leave us a positive review. I'm Lauren Avery. Thanks for listening.